This episode of the podcast is brought to you by The Genius Brand. The Genius Brand offers health supplements to help you optimize your life in a variety of ways. My latest Genius Stack is comprised of Genius Pre, mushrooms, and caffeine. Their mushroom supplement is packed with reishi, lion's mane, and cordyceps to deliver immune support, improve cognitive function, and elevate your mood to have you at your best. The Pre is an all-natural and stimulant-free nootropic-based workout supplement that gives me great pump, but I actually cheat a little bit, and I combine it with their sustained-release caffeine so I can control how much extra stimulation I need on any given day. All in all, this deck has me feeling great, but if there's another area of genius you're looking to unlock, they have everything from beauty, weight loss, focus, nootropics, and more. So check them out at thegeniusbrand.com and use code QUALITY at checkout for 15% off of your order. And if for any reason you're not feeling the genius awaken inside of you, there is a 90-day money-back guarantee. So you've got nothing to lose. So hit thegeniusbrand.com today or just hit the link in our bio and unlock your genius today. On this episode of the podcast, Anson and I were joined by Austin, Texas-based musician and business coach, Bill Small. Bill is a multi-talented recording artist and performer that has recorded a handful of solo albums in addition to a slew of singles and live performances with a number of bands and other collaborators. After finding success over the years as both a recording and performing artist, Bill decided to branch out and start offering up his experience and serve as a business coach. We touched on things like artist development, the chemistry of a band, and what success as an artist means. We also touched on some of the more cerebral side of things like connection, cutting through the BS, and more complex ideas like feeling your vision. That's right, I said feeling your vision. If you want to know more on that, you'll just have to stay tuned and see what's up. But it was a great conversation about music, business, and life. So let's get into it and see what's good. What is going on, good people? You are tuned into the Quality Goods Podcast, where we host discussions with artists, entrepreneurs, and doers from all walks of life. I am Chris Beattie. And I'm Anson Jay. And today we, uh, we're back on Zoom. Uh, we got a guest from out of town, a conversation that I've really been looking forward to. We got musician and life slash business coach, Bill Small. How are you doing, my guy? <laughs> I'm good, man. How are you? Doing very well, man. It's a, it's a beautiful day here in California. I hope it's the same in, over there in Texas. It is. It is sunny and warm and everything's starting to turn green again. There we go. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little, I think it's like a little prematurely turning green uh, nowadays. These days, you know? yeah. Uh, we got a lot of cherry blossom trees around here and they uh nice. they're blooming a lot uh sooner than they really should be <laughs> the, you know, traditionally right. yeah but um but it is beautiful so i, I can't really yeah. complain um, you know before we get this conversation started i know we were kind of uh, jamming on this topic uh before we started recording but i just wanted to uh give a shout out and uh rest in peace to uh 
I got Taylor Hawkins, a drummer for the Foo Fighters, um, passed yesterday. Yeah. Incredibly sad news. Yeah. And yeah. It's one of those things too, where it's one of those times where I'm kind of glad, not glad that I have Facebook. That's the first thing I saw this morning. A lot of times on Saturday, you know, I, well, I try anyway to sleep in and I was just kind of hanging out and I picked up the phone and I looked and that was the very first yeah. thing I saw. One yeah. of my drummer friends, you know, just making mention of it. Really sad. My feed was definitely uh, heavy with that news uh, yet yeah. last night. Um, yeah, it just happened yesterday. And, you know, a similar thing happened when the, with the passing of Anthony Bourdain. I remember mm. I woke yes. up and I picked up my phone and the first thing I saw was Anthony Bourdain was no longer with us. And one hit me hard, you know? And Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's, it's eerie because I yesterday put a bid on this really rare vinyl from the Foo Fighters. It's a cover album. And... Yeah, I, you know, I thought nothing of it. I, there's a, a, you know, a, a Prince cover on that album that I really enjoy. And so I was like, you know, let me see if there's a, if they have that on wax. And, you know, I was able to find it on eBay, you know, and um, then later in the evening, I, you know, I get hit with that news and I was just like, wow, I don't, I don't, that's such a strange coincidence. I don't really know yeah. what to make of it. And, you know, it's like, but um, yeah, rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins. Did you get the record? Uh, I did, I did win the bid. I, I made sure okay. that I won it after that. You know, I was like, oh, no. all right, I can't, I can't let this one slip through my fingers. And I, really there was only a handful of them available, you know, and it introduced me to that Prince song. As a matter of fact, like I heard the Foo right. Fighters version first and I was like, this yeah. is a great song. And I learned that it was a Prince song and I, you know, I yeah. got to, you know, obviously enjoy the Prince version as well. Yeah. You know, let's, uh, get on into a more positive note and uh <laughs> yeah yeah get to get this conversation rolling um yeah so uh, you know first and foremost you're an artist musician singer songwriter uh, i know you grew up in a musical household so did you feel like you even had a choice to be anything else <laughs> you know i'm not sure i ever wanted to be anything else my dad told me when i was 12 that i announced to him that i was going to be a professional musician which was a little surprising to me because I did have sort of, uh, you know, tween years and early teen years, uh, musical theater passion. Uh, I grew up uh, working in a theater in um, Montclair, New Jersey, uh, you know, pretty close to Manhattan. So lots of uh, professional folks, some of whom went on to be kind of famous. Um, and I really love that world. But uh, the rock and roll bug pulled me a little harder mm -hmm. <laughs> to play guitar and sing and write songs. Who were some of your earliest influences in those days? Oh, you know, it, it, it's probably weird. This is, I'm going to get weird. It's going to get weird. <laughs> yeah, bring the weird. It's going to be like, dude, it. you're so uncool. <laughs> um, the, this is funny because we were just talking about losing uh, an important artist, an important musical icon. And I want to say when I was around 37, 38, somewhere in that, maybe even a little younger, I was watching one of those um, behind the music type shows on television. You know, back when we had to watch television, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't just, mm -hmm. you know, hit the Apple TV and watch <laughs> whatever I want. Um, and it was about Karen Carpenter. And I remembered being a kid and having this Carpenter's record, which I actually still have, um, and singing every word, 
every song, like I didn't know I was doing it, but I was sort of learning phrasing, you know, like vocal phrasing yeah. and stuff from Karen Carpenter of all people. I didn't even know that was happening, but, but I was looking back at it going, wow, I, I think she actually kind of taught me how to sing. Uh, and then I moved on to, you know, things of in that era in the seventies, you know, Billy Joel and my sister had a Pink Floyd uh, sticker on there her, on the door of her room. So the first time I got let go to do whatever I wanted in a record store, I bought two cassettes. One was Billy Joel glass houses, which I now have on vinyl as well. And Pink Floyd, dark side of the moon. I still have that cassette. I don't think it plays, wow. but I, have it. <laughs> I don't want to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, those are some impactful records for sure. Yeah. And then I jumped all over the place. Everything from singer-songwriter stuff to, you know, I went through my Rush phase, my Ozzy Osbourne phase. I went through my, you know, new wave kind of uh, post-punk phase, you know, just all of them. Uh, and I find that uh, I still just have this really wide... Uh, Taste, taste influence and stuff yeah. i like to listen to you know i'll listen to almost anything yeah uh -huh. and like you mentioned even with like the whole apple tv thing you couldn't just go search for these artists like you had to go and dig and just right. talk about it with other people and find out what you might like like listen to the radio and then start your deep right. dive maybe from there yep yeah. yeah absolutely i was really fortunate to grow up with a wide range of uh, exposure to lots of different kinds of music as well. You know, like I had my mom playing folk music like James Taylor and Tracy Chapman. Nice. And then, but then she was also playing pop like Madonna and Janet Jackson. Right. Mm -hmm. And then my dad is really into like soul and R and B and you know, he's big Barry White, Al Green guy. So I was all yeah. over the place and I, you know, I'm just, uh, yeah, you're you just know, in the back seat of yeah, the car listening to whatever they're listening I'm to. I'm not in control. I'm <laughs> yeah, not a yeah, DJ. Just, I'm just yeah, taking yeah, it all in. Yeah, it might as well soak it in, yeah. Yeah, but I, I stole two records from my oldest sister. Mm -hmm. I stole her uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young record, Deja Vu, and <laughs> I stole her Meatloaf record. Nice. Uh, I gave them back a few years ago, but... <laughs> but you get some good I, use out of them, man. Yeah, I hung <laughs> on to those for a long time. But of course, like that's the people you learn everything from, your, you know, your siblings and all that. And even before you get yeah. the music, like you said, you see a sticker or whatever shirt they're wearing, like, oh, all right, I remember that What's from that? those days. Yeah, let me see what that's Right. About. Yeah, I want to check that out. What is that? So you had this, you know, really eclectic taste, uh, you know, even as a, you know, as a child, but when was the first time you picked up an instrument and, you know, mm. said, I want to do this myself? Well, that same sister that I stole records from, uh, she played guitar and sang, which she's 10 years older than me. So I thought that was really cool. Oh yeah. Uh, and she actually gave me my first guitar, um, and taught me a couple of chords and taught me a song and I was kind of off and running and around that same period of time that I was doing that at home I was uh, in school at a at an assembly and it was our school choir who was singing I think it was like in fifth grade and I saw them sing and I, I remember this they actually sang a Beach Boys song Sloop John B and I heard them do it and man I just thought it was really cool and I thought I want to be up there so the, the next half of school, I got in the choir and the choir director figured out I could sing and actually gave me a solo. You know, I didn't know I could sing, <laughs> but she did. <laughs> so she gave me a solo. And uh, at, the, at the show, when it was time to do that, I was so nervous. You know, it's just me and a piano and this auditorium full of people. And uh, I was so nervous, I leaned on the piano 
because I was, you know, shaken. And uh, my dad told me later, he thought that was on purpose, like that it was super, it was like super suave, <laughs> mm. you know, um, I didn't know that. So I sang my song and it got a good reception and all of it felt really good. And I just, that became kind of my thing. And singing has, the act of it has always just felt really good. And playing instruments was just a great way to accompany myself as a singer. Uh, and then that led to, you know, noticing that all of my musical heroes wrote their own songs. So I thought, well, that's what you do. You know, if you want to do this, you have to write songs. Uh, so I started doing that too. Very cool. You know, I always like to hear a, an origin story of, uh, yeah. you know, an accomplished musician, how, how they got into it. I know after reading your bio, I know you found your way to like many bands over the years and through your travels. Like I've always wondered what it's like to find your way into a band or find musicians mm -hmm. to play with. Cause I've never been in a band myself. Like I've had friends that have had bands and I've like, you know, jammed with them and I've, you know, I have more of a recording and uh, producing background, but I've always wondered what it's like to find, uh, you know, a musical match, if you, if you will. Yeah. It's uh, it's weird. It, it uh, often happens by accident. I think uh, people, young people have asked me a, a lot over the years, how do I put a great, great band together? And I always say, well, go get a gig, preferably go get a paying gig. And then you can call great people and they'll come play with you. Yep. And that's one way, right? That is one way. And that's the last band that I was in most recently was a band based here in central Texas called Walt Wilkins and the Mystic Caros. We were talking about Nashville earlier. I met Walt in Nashville. He was a staff writer there for a decade and a fantastic songwriter. We all moved back to Texas around the same period of time. And he had booked in 2006, he booked three gigs that he needed a band for. He didn't realize he needed a band. So he quick like called some folks and put a band together and they played one of the gigs and the bass player that they got didn't really work out. Yeah. And he knew me as a singer songwriter, but the two of the other guys that were playing with him knew that I could also play bass. So they said, Hey, why don't we call Bill? So they did. They had a gig and it paid <laughs> and, uh, and mm -hmm. I showed up uh, to this really iconic uh, dance hall here, uh, not far from my house in Texas called green hall. And uh, we played this festival and did our 45 minute set or whatever it was. We're standing at the bar later looking around at each other like, wow, that was really good. We should do that again. And for 15 years, that's what we did. Oh. Very cool. You know, you just, it means like you're literally on the same wavelength. You know, you guys are vibing. Like, yeah. like it's not yeah. just a, figure of speech at that point. Like you're literally creating vibrations together yes. in harmony yeah. and, and it's working, yeah. you know, I met, I literally met the drummer on stage that day. We looked at each other, said, hi, how you doing? One, two, three, four, <laughs> and started playing. And about halfway through that first song, I looked around like, wow, this is fun. I like playing with this guy. This is good. Yeah. And then you kind of like erase all that, like, part where you could be overthinking it, trying to find these yes. members. You just go into it like, oh, okay, we already, I'm just hearing that. And all right, I can, this I can works. Get, yeah. 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 Sometimes you don't have to talk it out. You have to just vibe it out. Oh. You know? Absolutely. I, I do think you get to a point where at this point I've been around long enough that when I go to put a band together, 
um, I have a pretty deep list of people I can call that are going to sound great. It's going to be great. Um, so I don't, I don't worry about it too much anymore, but in the, in the early days, sometimes it's just, who are your friends with and do they yeah. play anything? And Hey, let's try it and see if we like hanging out together. Yeah. <laughs> An overlooked thing. Like, yeah, you can all play these instruments and all that, but can we, are we really like together on our, you know, thought about what's well, that going. same thing? Like, uh, in Nashville, one of the first things somebody told me is if you want a job, if you're trying to be a player, you know, in, in a touring band or something like that, you don't have to be the best player. You have to be able to hang on the bus. Yeah. Cause you got to spend a lot exactly. of time. You're probably spending more time outside of playing yes. a whole lot more time with those people. That, so you got to get sure. along. Yeah. I mean, you got to be able to play, yeah. right? But you don't have to be like, you know, the second coming of the greatest guitar player in yep. the world, you got to be able to do the job and you got to be a good hang. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that same rule applies to getting a, a normal job too, you know, like, so too. Yeah. you know, you can be <laughs> yeah. the best at what you do, but right. do you vibe with the people that you're going to be working with and collaborating yes. with on a daily basis? That's very important. I have a lot of clients who have small teams and, um, are often looking for another person and what have you. And I try to beat into their heads that you can teach skill. You can't teach fit. Yeah, that person's either a fit for you and your culture and your vibe and who you are, or they're not. And it doesn't matter if they're the greatest at what they do. If they're not a fit, it's not going to work. That is true in pretty much any kind of relationship that yeah. you're going to engage in uh, throughout your life. You know, And I think it's true. And you may, you may get this too, because I know you've, uh, you know, you have a job and um, as an employee, sometimes you can go in and be able to do the job, but the place might not really be a fit. It just Absolutely. might not feel that great, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I've definitely been in that position where, you know, like I'm interviewing for a pretty cool sounding job and it's like, and, and even the company might sound promising, but then you go and you... You're talking it out with, you know, the hiring manager, whoever, and you're, you're finding that just the people that, you know, there, there is a vibe and, uh, sometimes it's just not a fit. I mean, it did happen to yep. me, you know, somewhat recently. And even with the last yeah. role that I got, like I knew right away, uh, by, you know, every single person that I spoke to, I was like, I feel very comfortable with these people already and my communication style and, uh, just, yeah. I feel like I can be myself and, you know, they're going to embrace that. And that was yeah. a an imp very important factor in accepting that role. It's huge. But uh, back into the music side of things, yeah. you know, uh, you know, you've recorded five uh, albums or EPs and put out countless singles. Uh, but what was your biggest takeaway from recording all that music? Like, what did you learn mm -hmm. along the way? <laughs> Uh, I learned making records is a gas. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, I've, the first time I walked into a recording studio, I was 15 and I was totally hooked. I was like, what is this? And can I do more of this? My, uh, my parents gave me for Christmas when I was a junior in high school, I got a, or a senior in high school, I don't remember which. I got a Fostex X15 four track cassette recorder. And I was off and running. That's all you needed. You know, I made all kinds of terrible recordings <laughs> on that thing. 
And my first jobs at a high school, one of them was actually as a messenger for a commercial recording studio in New York that did a lot of uh, voiceovers, uh, post-production work on film. And then while I was doing that, one of my coworkers was building a little eight track studio out in Passaic, New Jersey. So I helped set that up and kind of cut my teeth trying to figure, figure out how all that worked while I was there and always just always loved the process. Um, had my own project studios. As soon as that became a thing you could do without spending tens and thousands yeah. of dollars, uh, you know, starting with a little, one of those kind of rolling digital rigs, you know, that box that you could <laughs> make 24 track yeah, recordings yeah. or 16 track recordings in and, and burn a CD of it, that kind of thing. Had one of those, moved on to, you know, a full on DAW when I lived in Nashville. And that's really how I made my living for the most part in Nashville was in my project studio at home. Uh, got into the I would say, I'm going to put air quotes, you can't see them if you're just listening, but air <laughs> quotes around the studio business for a little while uh, when I moved back to Texas. Produced a few records, which I love doing. I didn't like being in the studio business. I like recording stuff. I love the process. Uh, in the studio business, you have to be willing to record music that you might not yeah, actually like. Won't listen to any time after. And, uh, yeah. And there was just was no amount of money that made that fun for me. So uh, I backed out of doing that. I still have a small rig at home and I have a couple of places around me that I work and people I work with that I just, I love it. I can geek out about it all day. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right really there fun. with you, man. I went to school for music production yeah. and to learn how to operate in any stu any type of studio, you know? Yep. And, you know, I think through that process, I found out as well that like, I wasn't in it to record other people. Like, I didn't mm -hmm. want to like mm -hmm. have to record, you know, I, I wanted to go there to make music of my own. And yes. um, yeah, I think through like mixing and, and stuff like that and doing all these edits, like I didn't want to like listen to other people's music like over mm -hmm. and over again in the process. And I was just like, all right, this is clear. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still no, I love I to be in the studio with a, really Fun. talented musicians and watch it all, you know, watch the magic happen. You know, it is a magical place when, when the vibe is right. It, is. it really is. Yeah. It's awesome. I honestly, I don't think there's anything more quite as fun as that. Oh man, I miss it. <laughs> I'm not even I love it. like, I like the studio that, uh, you know, we recorded a lot of our podcast episodes. I haven't been there in like a couple of years just because of the, the pandemic yeah. and the, <clears throat> right. You know, but I, I do need a, find my way back in there before long. Cause they are going to, they're going to be shutting down at the end of this year. So it make, oh, makes wow. me sad, but. And I'm glad I had the opportunity to be on that side of the glass, so to speak, and be able to uh, learn how to get a good sound and learn how to deal with signal flow oh, and, yeah. you know, have a general knowledge of all of the parts and pieces. Cause now it makes working with another engineer really easy. And I don't have to do all that stuff, but I know what they're doing. Yeah. And if if we're trying to shape a sound a particular way or look for something or I hear something, I can communicate in a way that's going to make sense to that person. Instead of just saying, I don't know, yeah. you know, I can say, hey, you know, uh, and just be more specific about what I'm asking yeah. for. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't always fix it in post, you know, you can't. 
right. you can't polish a turd, you know, you gotta, <laughs> That's a fact. you know, you got to put in the best possible sound to get the best possible sound out. You know, you can clean up some crap stuff. Crap in equals crap out. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, uh, I started, uh, hopefully I'll have it out this year, but, um, this is kind of, again, it's another just odd thing. I wrote a, I wrote a book or tried to write a book in 2011 called use your ears, basically the non-technical side of recording because everybody's recording at home and everybody talks about gear. Everybody geeks out about gear and technique and microphones and how to do this and how to do that, but they don't really talk about uh, how to know how to get a good sound, which isn't always about the gear. Yeah. So I started writing this book and I thought I was done and I put it on Kindle and I forgot all about it. And in 2018, I guess I remembered, <laughs> I really have no memory of this. I don't know what I was doing in 2018, but I pulled it, uh, I pulled it off of Kindle and started revising it and I got distracted and I found it a couple of months ago and thought, you know, this isn't half bad. So I'm, uh, doing another revision and hopefully we'll have it edited and out sometime this year. But, uh, you made me think about it because, uh, a crappy sound going in to the greatest gear in the world is still a crappy yep. sound. Yep. Um, a performance that isn't quite there is still going to not quite be there. Uh, you can, uh, buy gear for your house and have great mics and, you know, use something easy like logic or whatever and have a great preamp and everything else. But if you don't have any idea where to put that microphone or all the various options or what works kind of for you and what you're doing and you can't come, you don't know how to compare it to something else then you're probably not going to get the results you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was, when I used to record myself, you know, I used to make some like hip hop tracks and whatnot. I always found that my performance was better at home by myself than it was mm. when I was in the studio with my friends. And there's something about just getting locked into the zone and like knowing how I want to execute that when right. I added someone else or other things into the equation, it just complicated the process. And I wasn't able to replicate the same kind of energy and feel that I did on my own. See, now I have the opposite thing now is that I do better in the studio with somebody else there. Uh, I don't know if it's that it's, there's more of a performance aspect or that I have somebody to go, yeah, you're done. <laughs> so I don't just, so I don't just keep yeah. doing it in, in the hopes that it's going to be ever much so better, much better, yeah. which of course at some point it's not, uh, but I, I find that I, I, I actually tend to do a little better now, or at least it feels that way uh, in the studio with other people. I'll still do stuff at home, but yeah, it's good it's for jotting yeah. down ideas or, you know, whatever. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, but I think that comes with experience too, uh, you know, just knowing that it works for them, but this is what works for me. You know, I don't have to try to replicate or try to get even, yes. I can get the same sound doing it my way if I'm comfortable. You know, like you said, it's not about the equipment right. always, it's just your comfort level 
or like you and you're on tour like can i chill in a van with these people for months on end right so yeah comfort level and then i think the kind of unique aspect aspect you have too is like you speak all those different languages of like being the songwriter or you know someone who's playing one of the instruments or the guy behind the boards like and you can like you said you, you know how to communicate those messages because everyone knows what they're talking about or how they want it to sound but can you tell that to that other person yeah. in the studio right with you? can you communicate mm -hmm. that yeah well and I hadn't, uh, I actually didn't have a rig, a functioning rig at home for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, for anybody who doesn't know rig, that's our shorthand for having a recording set up at your house. Uh, I didn't have a functional rig at home. And of course the pandemic came and, uh, I got out the old Sweetwater, uh, you know, no interest <laughs> for 24 months, uh, credit card and, uh, uh, fleshed out the couple of things that I needed. And, and immediately I had a new song and I immediately, uh, recorded it. I, I did all of the actual tracking, uh, at my house and then sent it over to a buddy of mine to mix it and sent it to, uh, Abbey road to master it and put it out. And that felt really good. I was like, wow. Okay. I can do that again. That, nice. That's fun. Yeah. No, kind of stepping back into that, like studio business, uh, situation mm. we were talking about. And it's, it made me think about, one of my friends who was, you know, running a studio of his own with a partner down in, in Los Angeles. And I actually think that he got burnt out in the process because, you know, like he was a really creative, I mean, he's, I'm sure he still is a very creative dude, singer and producer, mixing engineer, all, all of that. But, you know, then he also had the aspect of trying to book the studio and just make rent all the time. So yeah. I think it just totally zapped all of his creative energy at the end of the day, you know, cause he was, he was working on his own music and doing all of that. And, right. you know, I think that those things can really just take away from, you know, investing in yourself and your own projects. Well, and that's, I mean, isn't that the curse of entrepreneurship to some extent, you know, with any, with any business you start, especially as a solopreneur, you've got to focus on getting enough work yeah to make your nut, whatever that looks like. And sometimes that can get in the way of things, or at least uh, you can let it get in the way of things. You know, I mostly say that the only thing that ever gets in the way of anything is me. Anything I want to do, I'm the only thing that gets in the way of that. Um, and, and that really becomes in working with uh, anybody, any small business owner or artist or anything else is really trying to discern, okay, great. How are you getting in your way? You know, like it, that zapped his energy because there's something that happens in your head. <laughs> Start telling yourself a story about it. That's exhausting. Uh, or the way you're managing it is exhausting or feeling like you're not getting anywhere is just exhausting. And then you don't have, you're not making the time yeah. to work on your stuff, you know? Uh, I also know people who they put their own creativity and producing work ahead of everything else. And I don't mean that they lock themselves in a room, you know, eight hours a day, but they show up every day to create. And it might not always go well. Yeah. And it might only be 30 minutes or an hour or something, but they show up every day. And then they go on and do all the other stuff, you know, of trying to book work and keep things going. But they show up for that creation every day. And 
I don't think a lot of people do that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's kind of going back to what we were talking about with the uh, Prince. I know that that was something that he did every day. Like I, I don't remember, yeah. like he would write multiple songs a day, like yeah. every day. I mean, super talented multi-instrumentalist yeah. and you know, there's not any, any other princes out there. Let's, I think no. we can just, yeah, just throw that out. There. Yeah. <laughs> not a, not, no, not a, he's a genius free, you know, <laughs> that, and, and it, and it's actually, that's hard because you tend then to want to compare yourself to this genius freak, you know, <laughs> who he could do that like that. He was so focused on doing that and that's him. And that's not me. That's not going to work for my life. I have to figure out how do I keep creating? How do I keep the, the wheels on the bus? How do I keep the rent paid and keep all of that going uh, in the way that works for me? Cause I can't do it the way it worked for him yeah. or really for anybody else. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of leads me into a, another good question that I had. And it's like, uh, I wanted to ask you about your viewpoint as an artist and somebody that's been around a lot of artists and, you know, like Anson said, like every part of the, the musical process from recording to producing to write, writing songs. But uh, like when you're trying to build a career in music, like what is your viewpoint like as that artist, like, are you, are you a realist? Are you trying to be an optimist? Like, Oh, I'm going to be the next big thing. Or like, <laughs> yeah, like how do you define success? Uh, like as you're approaching a career in music? Well, that's a great question. And it's an individual question. And the way that I defined success when I was starting out is probably very different than the way I do now. Uh, quite honestly, I don't think anybody ever asked me when I was starting out, how will you know when you're successful? What does success look like? And back in those days, you know, in the eighties, let's say, there was really only one path that I knew of to success in the music business. That was get a record deal. Yeah. I think that was everybody. I had goal. absolutely no idea. Right. That was everybody's goal. Right. And I had absolutely no idea how to do that. Uh, and at some point, I don't even think I really tried. I just, I found that, I could go and play and they, and they'd pay me to do that. And that felt really good. And I love performing and I just kept doing that. And I think like a lot of young artists, I was hoping that that might lead to something else. Uh, and that's like opening a donut shop on the, you know, on an obscure street and hoping that enough people are going to notice that you're there that they're going to come in and buy enough donuts to keep your doors open. Nobody told me, and I'm not blaming anybody because I should have known, <laughs> but nobody told me, Hey man, the minute you announce that you're going to be a professional musician, you just opened a business. You just opened a donut shop. What are you going to do now? Yeah. So it's a really individual question. I think there are people who they do want to be the next big thing. So great. Make a plan for that. How are you going to do that? You know, what are the steps or, or what's the, at least the next thing you think you ought to do if you want to be the next big thing? Should you go audition for American Idol? Should you uh, get really into TikTok and try to yeah. have something go viral, figure that out? Uh, what is that? What do you want to do? If, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of young musicians are exactly that. They're musicians. They don't want to necessarily be the front person or, uh, you know, the, the primary songwriter or what have you. Great. 
what does success look like? How much money do you want to make? Uh, what kind of, of work do you need to get to make that? And, and is that something you want to do? I think for me, I flitted around a lot. I took any work that I could get that I thought I could pull off, whether I'd ever done it before or not, that paid and had to do with music. And luckily, I managed to do most of it fairly well, I would say. <laughs> but I also learned that there's a lot of those things, like being in the studio business, that I don't want to do. I can do it, sure, but I don't want to. It doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And I probably won't be very successful at it because I don't like it that much. Just because I can do it doesn't mean I should. Yeah, it's good that you recognize those things like throughout your journey. Yeah. And it took a while. And quite honestly, I'm in that process again, really. The, uh, we actually, I hate the word broke up. We stopped uh, normal operations of the band, uh, the Miscaros, in January of 2020. Which is funny, right. a little fortuitous. January 1st, we played our, you know, I'm doing the air quotes again, our last show, uh, though we have played one since. Uh, and then we played a show with some of the band on March 14th of 2020, oh, and that was it. That was it. Everything and shut down. No one was day. playing out there. <laughs> no, then, then we all went home, and I played two more shows that year at a, in a friend's backyard. Yeah you know, with people way spread out all over the place and not touching anybody and the whole deal. And that was it. And in one way, it was kind of cool because I think I needed a break. And when I thought about it in the back half of 2018 and all through 2019, I put 52,000 miles on my car. Wow. That was from playing predominantly, from driving all over this giant state of Texas and other places as well and playing music and, you know, doing some other things too, but that's mostly where the miles came from and it was getting a little exhausting. So I was happy to have the break. That was really cool. But then coming back out of that, all of a sudden, wait a minute, I don't have this band anymore where I didn't have to do anything except show up, you know, here's the gigs show up. Great. Well, now those aren't there. And I don't have a reason, or at least not the, the same reason. So I had to go, all right, well, here I am at this stage again, 55, been doing this a long time. What do I want now? And I, and I think we all have to do that. And all artists have to do that. You get to these different points in your career or in your journey and you got to go, okay, where am I right now? And is this what I want? And what does success look like now? Because success before I had a kid looks very different than success now that I have one. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't really take the time to do those self-assessments at the, the you know various milestones in their career or life. You know they don't they you know they set <laughs> their mind to achieve one thing, um, but don't really uh, you know analyze what they're going through while they're on the path or while they're in the process, mm -hmm. and they don't think about like is this still something that I should be doing? Like, have I opened up any new doors along the way? And is there anything else I can explore? I, I don't think enough people. Yeah. Like, really do, do I that. still want to go down this path? You know what I'm saying? Even though like I've been successfully doing it, whatever I define that as like, is that where I really want to be? You know, like, right. You know, you know and, mm -hmm. and even uh, outside of music, 
businesses and small business owners do, they do the same thing. Every client I've ever had, I ask them, where do you want to be in five years? And none of them ever mm-hmm. answer the question. Yeah, that was actually something you know, I was going to yeah. ask you about. Yeah. 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 What's your vision for the future? And everybody goes, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> or they, or they're like, well, I just want to keep doing this or I want to make X amount yeah. of money or whatever. But that's not, that's not a vision. Yeah. Yeah. You know? uh, that's like sitting down at a restaurant and not ordering anything and hoping they're going to bring you something you like. Yeah. And that might work out, but they might bring you like liver and onions, which <laughs> you may like mm-hmm. that. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. And I don't want to eat that. Why is that? Why do you think that's such a common response for people who are, have set out to create for themselves? Like why, why don't they clarify their vision and continually hone it along the way? I think it's because most people who in that situation, so we talked about artists and even most solopreneurs and small business owners, they start doing something they like doing yeah, and they start getting paid for this thing that they like doing. And next thing you know, they're just going along and, and you're just, going you're going along. Flow, yeah. You're just trying to keep working and getting paid for working or having your business work and reach more people or whatever it is. And you never really stop to do that because nobody tells you you should. Yeah. Nobody Cause they're always like strike while the iron is hot or, you know, ride your wave, you know, like but they don't figure out how to sustain that. Mm-hmm. And like right. take all the opportunities. No one was asking before. Now you have 15, you know, people at, at your doorstep. Like, don't, don't close it on them. Yeah. Right. And, and everything changes, you know, plans change, things change. You start rolling along. Like I was rolling along in that studio business. And then, uh, a lot of things had me pull out of it and I could have gone back to it, kept that going, but I had to stop and go, is this really what I want? Is this what I want to do? Or do I need to put my attention somewhere else? Yeah, so, so at what point in your you know, music career did you realize that you needed to diversify a little bit? Like, like what made you realize that like, I, I should, you know, offer some other services and I, you know, mm-hmm. and start coaching people. Total accident. complete and utter accident. Uh, In the 90s, I took some courses, did some kind of personal development courses. And in that coursework, I actually got trained to coach people, but I didn't know that was a thing. I just thought that was something you did in that world of those courses, right? And that was in the 90s. And in 2008, Uh, The band had put a record out in 2007 and we pushed real hard the back half of 2007 and the front part of 2008. I was tired. I didn't have much money. And I'm talking to a friend of mine on the phone who he said that he had just gotten a job, which I was really surprised because I know him as a filmmaker. He's a couple years older than me. And, you know, he was always making short films and doing all this stuff. That was his thing. I'm like, really, you got a job of all people? He said, yeah, I got this job coaching people. I'm like, what? They pay you to coach people? (laughs) He said, yeah. Okay. So I hung up. About two seconds later, I picked the phone back up. I called him back. I said, "Uh, are they home? (laughs) Uh, Turns out they were. It was a company in Austin that was supplying coaches for some authors, you know, who had big followings and people wanted more of their ideas and their help. And of course they couldn't provide that themselves. So this company provided the coaches. There were also marketing coaches in that 
group as well. And that was great. I coached a whole ton of people in a very short period of time. At one point, I had had 37 clients at wow. once. I won't do that again necessarily, <laughs> but but it was great for that. It was awesome. And I think that's the kind of thing where you find out you're, you, that you like something or you don't ever want to do it again. So you learned an awful uh, lot from those 37 clients. Yeah, and that was at once. Those are in three or six month increments. So I probably went through that three times just in the in the time I was there. So by 2009, of course, given the economy, uh, everything changed around what people were willing to pay for with that kind of work. Uh, that company went away, but I just kept doing it. I said, this is something I like to do. I'm good at it. I can get paid for it. Let's keep doing it. So I had a client or two for the next several years. I'd always have a client or two kind of on the side, uh, mostly still uh, doing music, but I had that on the side. It was great. And then uh, I had a child um, and or we had a child. I, didn't, <laughs> I, I really didn't do much. Uh, a kid showed up and I thought, you know, I should get a little more serious about this. And it would be great. At that point, it felt really good to take the pressure off of music for being my bread and butter. I'd done that for a really long time. It had me do work I didn't want to do because it paid money. Yep. Uh, and that made music a little less fun. So being able to split that focus and do this other thing that I like just as much, it gives me just as much juice as playing music does. And uh, sometimes it pays a whole lot better and it's a little more consistent and it takes all the pressure off of my music career. Uh, I always say I don't play music or coach people for money, but you still have to pay me. Definitely. Now, when, when it comes to your coaching services, I know that you kind of you offer like a, a 15 minute consultation. How do you get to the bottom of what's holding someone back from unlocking their potential in, in that amount of time? Like, how do you, how do you get right, right to the meat? I'm, I'll be really honest with you. I don't, uh, the, the 15 minute thing that is on my website is actually a couple of videos that, that might have someone look at what's going on with them a different way. And I just added to this, and if you do those videos, you get an email about it. Uh, there's actually a whole course of videos that's totally free. And I just took the first, I'd say six conversations, the topics of those that I have with everybody, kind of the basic framework of where I start with people and what I have them start looking at. And it doesn't matter who you are or how much you're paying me or what your business is. Everybody goes through this, these same conversations. I put those in kind of video class format and uh, you can go through the whole thing. It's not the same as having a conversation with an actual person, but the idea is it could illuminate something gotcha. that maybe you didn't see before. Um, I think for coaching most of the time, if someone finds out, oh, I can have a coach, what is that? Most people say, I don't even know what that is. What is that? What do you mean? I say, well, it's no different than when I was a kid and I was on swim team, there was a coach. What's the goal? The goal in swim team is I want to go faster. I want to win the race, right? But I can't see myself swimming. The coach can walk along the side of the pool and say, hey, 
you're pulling your right arm out of the water too high. So it's taking you too long. You need to do this instead, or you're not coming out of your turn fast enough, or you're not kicking fast enough after you come out of your turn. He can see that. I can't see that. Having a coach in your business and your life really is the same thing. I can't see how I get in my own way. I can't see that. And even if I can, what do I do about it? You ever have that thing where you, I don't know, you read a book or you listen to a podcast and there's some great idea about, all right, well, you said you want to be a writer. You should write every day, you know, write for 30 minutes every day. Okay, great. I'm going to do that. And you promise yourself you're going to start doing that. And maybe you do that for a week, maybe even two. And somewhere along the line, you realize, wow, I stopped doing that three months ago. And you kind of let yourself off the hook and you just let yourself down again. And it's okay because, you know, it's not that big a deal. When you have somebody else holding you accountable where you said, yes, I'm going to do this for the next two weeks. And I know I'm going to talk to you in two weeks and I'm going to have to say whether I did it or not. Um, you're more likely to actually do what you said. That definitely resonates a lot. And, uh, you know, it also, there, there's another factor in that, like, you know, if you're practicing the wrong way, uh, you know, mm. if you're putting in all those reps, but you're not doing it the right way, then you're only leading yourself into the shallow end of the pool or whatever, you know, and rather than getting good at swimming in the deep end, you're just putting in reps the wrong way and, and not making the actual progress that you are hoping for. Yeah. And I think the other piece is that uh, having your own business First of all, it, it's challenging. I don't care who you are and I don't care how big your business is. If you're one person or you're the CEO of a mid-sized company or a CEO of a big company, it's, there are challenges. Let's just put it that way. I'm not even going to say it's hard because some days it probably is. Maybe some days it isn't, but there are lots of challenges and it can be kind of a lonely gig. Who are you going to work things out with? Who advises you? Who who can have um, an objective enough opinion and be committed to your success at the same time. And, and that's, I think, where the magic of ongoing, an ongoing coach relationship really is, because you get this trusted advisor who's kind of almost like a partner in your business, wants your business to succeed as much as you do, but doesn't actually own a piece of it. So there's no uh, conflict of interest it's really just about your success. Yeah, no, I think that's a great uh, quip there. You know, you mentioned like it being, you know, it's lonely at the top or whatever, you know, when you're, when you're the one calling all the shots, it's, it's hard to hold yourself accountable all the time. And so yeah. having someone else to check in on you and make sure that you're doing the things that you have set out to do, uh, it's invaluable. And to help you think through the challenges especially if you have employees or, or if you're growing a business, it can be really difficult to figure out what do I need to put my attention on? That's where that vision thing comes in. Okay, great. Well, where do you want to get to? All right. Well, then it makes a lot more sense what you need to pay attention to. Oftentimes, and I've certainly done this, people are paying attention to the totally wrong thing. And they keep wondering why they're not getting the result they're looking for. Well, it's because you're you're paying attention to this thing over here. It's not, it, it, they don't line up. So what's the simplest way for someone to like cut through the BS in their own mind and like hone in on what they're mm -hmm. truly after? 
That's a good question. I think, I think sometimes if, if we're talking about how do you look out and create a vision, you know, like where you want to go or what does success look like? Uh, this is going to sound a lot easier than it actually is, but, uh, you know, the first thing that you kind of have to do is allow your brain, which it may not want to do this because your brain is not really your friend. A lot of the time you have to let your brain get quiet. And there's a lot of ways to do that. And you have to really think out. All right. I don't have to know how to do anything. If I can have this be any way I want, if I can take my business, my life, my family, all of my circumstances and have them be any way I want in five years. What could that look like? What might, a, what might a day look like? What would I do? When would I get up? What would I do then? What work would I be engaged in? And here comes the important part. All that's great. You can have an imagination and think through that stuff. And even, you know, what color are the walls in my office? Whatever you want to do. The most important part is what does that feel like? That's really where the, the power is. What does that feel like? Because you can use that vision in two ways. One, to generate that feeling for yourself right now. Which just from an energetic perspective, uh, you're more likely to do the things and create the opportunities that line up with that. If you're energetically kind of aligned with, I already am that, instead of, I hope to someday be that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it actually makes a lot of sense. And it resonates with this. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Rob Deerdick, mm -mm. but he's an entrepreneur. He was a professional skater for a long time, but now he's just like a, a business mogul. And um, he has his own podcast, but he builds businesses now. And yeah. one of his recent uh, discussions was about, uh, you know, vision boards and like envisioning it. And right. he talked about not just picturing yourself in the, those circumstances, but feeling it. Yeah. It's about yeah. the feeling because, because I got news for you. The circumstances will never look like they looked on your vision yeah. board or on your, in your notebook or whatever. The circumstances will be different. That's just how it works. But you might still get exactly what you were looking for. The other piece of it that's a little more practical, a little more pragmatic for those people who can't really deal with the whole uh, energy conversation yeah. is that when you have a vision for the future that, that's clear, that's, that's clearly thought out and that you can uh, refer to, then when you have to make a decision in your business, do I turn right? Do I turn left? Do I hire this person or do I hire that person? Do I offer this service or do I offer that service? Do I raise my prices or do I keep them the same? You can look out at that vision and say, which, which way lines up with that? If I say, this is where I'm going, then which choice do I make that lines up with that? And that makes decision-making a whole lot easier. I think far too often we're, when we make decisions, we're only thinking about the immediate outcome and not where that decision is going to lead. Or we're reacting yeah. out of uh, fear or out of uh, some kind of, well, it's usually some, some kind of fear, out of fear that it's not going to work or that, you know, whatever your plan was is going to fail or that you, that'll be the last customer you ever get. So you got to take this one. Uh, most people don't want to say no 
to work or to uh, a, you know a, a potential client. But even with uh, you know, with my business with coaching, somebody might need help and have money and be totally willing to pay a coach, but not be a fit for me. I was at a networking event a few years ago in Austin. And it was actually a pretty cool one. It was one I like going to. You know, some, sometimes those things, if you've been to them, can be a bummer. Uh, but this one was pretty cool. And at the end of it, everybody would go around, you know, and do their one minute, this is who I am. And I got kind of at the back of the line and there were uh, five other coaches <laughs> in the room, which was a lot. I mean, I'd been there before where there'd be like one or two other people, but there were five. So I was number six and I was the last one and I got up there. And so my usual spiel wasn't going to work. And I really meant this. I still mean it. I think I just said something to the effect of, look, as you've noticed, there's a bunch of coaches in the room. If you don't know anything about coaching, ask one of us, we'll tell you about it. If you're, if you're interested in coaching, talk to all six of us. One of us is going to make sense to you. That's the person you should hire. And it's true. We, we all say the same stuff. I mean, really, honestly, every coach I've ever had or come in contact with, or really, if you break it down, we're probably all talking about some version of the same thing. Uh, but you're going to hear it from different people in a different way. I'm going to resonate with you or fit with you in a way that somebody else might not, or maybe I won't fit with you at all. Yeah. I think it's important too, is like as the client, like you have the power to pick those things too, as the interviewee at these jobs, like they're not the only ones calling the shots. Like if you aren't feeling that vibe, like Chris is going through the process right now, like there's nothing wrong with either of you. It's just not going to work the fit, you know, yeah, it's, it's not, don't just force fit. it. Yeah. Like don't keep going through the motions yeah. and wasting time on both sides, you know? Yeah. yeah. So you asked a great question earlier that I had uh, answered a different way, but you said, you know, how can you have a 15 minute conversation with somebody and get to the bottom of something? And I think in, in that situation, first of all, it'll take more than 15 minutes. Uh, but what I want to know is what are you trying to achieve that you're not achieving? Where is it you want to go that you feel like you can't get to? With any, with any coaching, there's something yeah. somebody wants. Yeah, they wouldn't have been looking for that thing. Yeah. Exactly right. There's always something somebody wants and there's something in the way of it that they can't figure out. So I want to know what does that person want and what do they think is in the way? Might not be the same thing, yeah. I think. And are they willing, are they really willing to commit, to make a commitment to changing something? I mean, I can definitely relate to that. Like earlier in my career, there was a point where I was seeking out mentorship, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, I was getting into territory that I was unfamiliar with and I really needed somebody who had experience in that space to, to talk to and to figure out if I was actually making the right steps on my own. And, you know, I, I was fortunate to have you know, within my organization, a lot of those resources to like pair me with various uh, people and assess a fit. And, you know, I went through a few uh, attempts at finding a mentor and it took, you know, it mm -hmm. took a few uh, meetings to really find one that worked for me. And like you said, a lot of those people were probably going to end up telling me, you know, the same or similar things, but 
it was yeah. more of a communication style that that when it came down to it, that's what drew me to the, to my mentor at that point. Yeah, and I get a little woo woo about about all that stuff. You know, the right people show yeah. up. That's it. You know, sooner or later, the right one will show up, and whether that's the client or the coach or whatever, the right one shows up. Well, Bill, um, you know, as we're winding down this conversation, I, I wanted to ask you about one more thing that I you know stumbled across on on your website last night, and that was uh, the words. You know, those kind of like mm. short form recordings of you just uh, you know talking about various things, and the one that really uh, caught my attention was this one about connection, and you talked about. Uh, playing music for people for the first time after, you know, being in isolation uh, from the pandemic and what it felt like. And it just like, it reminded me of this experience that I had when uh, last year and I went to Mexico and I was, you know, I was on vacation and I was out and about for the first time and I went to a Cirque du Soleil show and, and I remember walking in and there was this this little like three piece little jazz band just playing the, the music for, to get people situated and seated, and it honestly almost brought like a tear to my eye because I was like, oh my god, I haven't experienced this feeling in years, like literal years, and you know it was nothing crazy. It was just like yeah. a a little trumpet, a little three-piece drum set and an upright bass, but they were just playing this little jazzy yeah. tune. And I was just like, it really just like, like hit me like right in the heart. And, uh, you know, it's just exactly what you said, connection. Like I hadn't felt that connection to people or haven't felt those vibrations in person in so long. And it, you know, it was, it was just like really powerful. Well, you said that feeling, you know, like that feeling you get, <laughs> like, like, this is what I love about life, and now I can have a piece of it back. Yeah. I, I know we don't like to admit it, but human beings need connection. We do. We <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. need it. And I'm a uh, yeah, fairly you, introverted yeah. human. I always, say, I always say I'm an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert. I don't know which. You know, like yeah. I can... Uh, me look, I play music so I can go out and I can flip the switch and I can do the deal and I can be around people, but it's exhausting. Then I have to go home and not be around anybody. And during the pandemic, both my wife and I, we both work from home and, and it was really easy yeah. for us to just be, not be around anybody. But I don't think we necessarily took into account the toll of that. And I didn't really notice the toll of it until I started getting out and being around people again and going, wow. Okay. First of all, this is weird. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you know, like it just feels how do, weird. How do I talk to this person? Yeah. Again. yeah. Do I still know how to do this? And second of all, this is fantastic. Um, and, you know, in my case, it became really apparent with playing because uh, that really at the essence is what that's all about. It's about connecting. Uh, am I going to play and sing in a way that connects with you? And when I do, there's that weird thing that I'm going to go all energetic again, but you feel that coming back at you. You do. When an audience is into what you're doing, you can feel that. You can feel them. I actually played with a friend last night uh, who hopefully won't listen to this. Uh, <laughs> and he's, a, he's actually a great musician. And he often asks me to come play with him at a place that I don't like. 
I don't want to play music there. I don't think anybody should play music there. It's not really set up <laughs> for that. It's a restaurant thing and there's a million things wrong with it. Uh, but I do it because I love him and I love playing with him. And last night it became apparent for most of that show that the only people that were listening to us was us. And it's exhausting. It's maddening and it's exhausting. It's like yelling into a hole. Uh, and, and I didn't have the worst part. He had to sing his own songs into a hole all night long. And I looked at him at the end of the show. I, I just said, dude, you don't do this anymore. You don't need to do this. Go do something else. Like, really? I'll come with you yeah, wherever you go. Is, but don't you. do this. Yeah. Because that, that magic part of it that we all really love is the connection. And those people aren't there to do that, which is fine. Yeah, yeah. They're there to eat and hang out with their friends and do the thing. Why should they have to worry about us over in the corner? Uh, and there may be other bands that would be more suited to that. But for this guy, it's just, no, his music needs that listening crowd, that people who want to connect to that. I mean, that's what most of us go out to see live music to do. Even people who go out to EDM shows and dance parties and all that, oh, they're going out there to connect. Yeah, part yeah. of that. That, that's what it's about. Uh, it's about connection. So yeah, thanks for, hey, and, and thanks for checking out the, the words stuff. That's something that I never would have uh, even thought to do. My podcast partner, Miles Hansen, that was his idea. He started doing that a while back. And around the same time that we started a podcast and I started uh, putting myself out there to be a guest because I realized I'm better at talking than I am at trying to create other types of content. Uh, and those little short form, I don't even want to call them audio blog kind of thing. Uh, they're not too long. They're pretty easy to digest. And uh, I never listen to them back. I never edit them. I just do it and I post it and I hope it's okay. Uh, Put it and, out there in the world. And I get a lot of good feedback on it. It's, it's fun to do. So thanks for checking it out. Yeah, sometimes that's all we need. You know, we just need that little snippet yeah. to inspire us or invoke a, a certain emotion at a, yeah. you know, at the time when we need it. Well, Bill, um, this is a good time for us to go into our segment that we call support quality. And we just want to ask you about something that has brought quality to your life or your business lately. It could be a person, a place, a thing, a process, but what is something that's brought quality to you? What has brought quality to me and to my life and and or business lately? What a great question. You know, people always say that's a good question when they can't answer it right away. <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is people. Uh, yesterday, I, I live about 35 miles from Austin, so it's about a 45-minute drive. Uh, and I went into town, I had two meetings with people that I know. One is a really, really old friend. And the other one is someone I've known, well, for quite a long time. She's in the music business. And as I mentioned earlier, coming back after a pandemic and not in the same uh, band situation I was and all of that, I've been feeling maybe a little isolated, maybe a little not connected, maybe a little not connected to my own network of people. 
that I could uh, leverage and ask for help for things and talk about things and see how I can help them and how we can help each other. And yesterday became all about that is meeting with these two people and having these great conversations about, okay, here's what I'm doing. What are you doing? How can I help you? How can you help me? And, and let's get together again in a, in a couple of weeks. And it just reminded me that that's the most important thing in anything I do, whether it's in my music career, whether it's in my coaching business, whether it's in my personal life, is people. And I had our time with people for a while. The word world got weird, you know. Uh, is that person wearing a mask? Are they going to, do sure I have to did. touch them? Are they going to be weird about me wearing a mask, you know? And beyond all the, who did you vote for? And all of that stuff, you know, yeah, it was really exactly. easy to, to get uh, disconnected, to get further and further away from people. And not only was it easy, you kind of had to do it. Everybody said, stay home, don't, you know, don't do anything. So stepping back out into the world and connecting with the people that I already know, uh, that has brought and is bringing and will continue to bring real solid quality to everything I do. <laughs> it's a great way to, to bring this one yeah. home. Well said. Yeah, you know, thank you for joining us Definitely. today, Bill. This has been a really great conversation. Um, but if the people want to, uh, you know, connect yeah. with your music or connect with you uh, as a coach, how can they do so? Uh, the easiest thing to do is just go to artistmind.co, artistmind.co. Uh, there's links to everything on there. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram too at, at mindartcoach if you're that kind of person and send me a direct message or whatever you want to do. Yeah, we're definitely Instagram folks around here. Yeah. yeah, you can find me at Instagram at Mr. Beatty. And I'm at Anson.wav. Yeah, and we're at Quality Goods TV on Instagram. And, you know, you'll, you'll be able to find clips of this podcast on there. Lots of other good content. You can take a look at past guests that we've had. And we got links to merchandise and stuff like that, too. And if you want to support us, there's, there's links to do all that. Love to connect as well. That is what Absolutely. we want to do. The more people we can connect with, the better. And that's why we're sitting here today with Bill, man. It's all, it's always love connecting with new people, especially doing, you know, someone who's, who's doing something like we're, you know, like we love to talk to people and see where they're all on their path in life. So yeah, it's amazing. Well, thanks so much for having me. You guys are awesome to hang out with. And, and uh, yeah, if I ever do make it to Austin in the not too distant future, I'll, I'll be sure to tap Check in. Out. You better. All right, Bill. Well, thank you again. It's been a wonderful conversation. Until next time, we out.